This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Nightlight has partnered with Fan Roll Dice by Metallic Dice Games to offer an exclusive discount on one of their gorgeous dice sets that we've fallen in love with because of their satisfying weight and, let's just be honest, sparklies not to mention their impeccably constructed dice accessories. In one word, velvet. Visit fanrolldice.com, that's F-A-N-R-O-L-L-D-I-C-E dot com, and use our discount code NIGHTLIGHT for 10% off any new additions to your dice hoard. A portion of your purchase will come back to us and help support our shows. So go to fanrolldice.com with the discount code NIGHTLIGHT to get 10% off of any additions to your dice hoard. Hi, I am Tanya Ransom, the creator and executive producer of Nightlight, a horror podcast featuring creepy tales written by Black writers from all over the world. And today I am here with R.J. Joseph, the author of Bettina and the first episode from season five, Conflict Resolution. And I'm super, super happy to have Rhonda here today because Rhonda is honestly one of my favorite writers. So this is such an honor um, to have you on the podcast. Uh, how are you today? I'm good, Tanya. Thank you so much for your kind words. I'm excited to be talking to you today because you're absolutely one of my favorite podcasters. So oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say like Rhonda is just an amazing human. We go to a lot of the same conferences, so we get to see each other fairly often. Um, and like, I just consider you just a great human being in addition to being a great writer. Um, so let's, let's kick it off with just talking about your, your idea. Like how do you come up with the ideas for say conflict resolution and Bettina? Where, where's your well, well of creativity? Oh, I'm really lucky, uh, that almost anything can trigger an idea. Um, and so I say that like just walking around in regular life, um, the idea from con- uh, conflict resolution actually came from uh, my now husband and I, when we were dating, we would go to the drive-in movie theater because we just love movies and, and we still have a drive-in theater within driving distance to us. Uh, and coming home one night, we saw just this weird thing. Um, so Jose is a truck driver. He sees a lot of weird stuff and he sees creatures at night all the time on the road um and so one thing that he noticed was that this creature whatever it was its eyes did not reflect the light um we kind of laughed it off uh because the thing just kind of loped on off and it just didn't seem like anything that we knew uh and so the idea that grew from there was that whatever it was i mean it could have been you know this kind of a, a kind of a creature that could have been there just for us i mean right like you know yeah. so much uh, <laughs> <laughs> but i mean like just something as innocent as seeing a weird creature on the road in the dark of night. And I think these Texas back roads are really, really oh, super dark. Oh, spooky. They're very <laughs> spooky. Uh, and so that's where that idea came from. Um, and 
I mean, I can do almost anything and an idea will strike and I'll kind of go, oh, well, what if? Well, what would happen? And what was that? And how do I feel about this? Um, so there are ideas just come from anywhere. Um, the idea for Bettina um, actually uh, drew from the fact that I've always wanted to do an homage to Poe. And my favorite Poe short story is Berenice. Um, I'm always terrified by the idea that we get the viewpoint of um, the the one character, but we never understand how Berenice must have felt. So I always wanted to do a a female-centered homage to Poe, and Bettina is is what drew what came from that. Well, I have to say, conflict resolution is hands down one of my favorite short stories ever. It's just like, it's such, I mean, and then, you know, it might be because I can picture those, you know, creepy Texas roads, right, <laughs> right. Park, you know, like it really, you know, really hit home for me in a lot of ways because, you know, I have had that same sort of experience that your husband has had where, you know, you see weird things that you're like that there's something that's not right about that. And sometimes you can, you know, pinpoint exactly, you know, like the eyes aren't reflecting. Sometimes it's just something is not right about that thing. And I'm not stopping. (laughs) I'm just going to keep it moving. Um, So I, you know, I found, I found that story, like I don't generally get scared by stories or movies or anything like that, but I get unsettled and I found conflict resolution to be, you know, a story that actually unsettled me. And that's, that's pretty rare. Um, that that actually happens to me. Um, but Bettina, I also I, like, I love it for different reasons. You know, like for me, Bettina wasn't, it wasn't so much about the being creeped out sort of factor. It was more, you know, that, that you, that it was obvious that this was, you know, at least to me anyway, cause I love Poe, mm-hmm. that it was a story, you know, that was a play on um, Poe's work. And then when you mentioned that on Twitter, after the story went live, I was like, oh, yes, like I nailed that. You know, I'm so glad that, you know, I went with the voice that I did for the narration um, and all that. But like, I'm a huge, huge Poe fan. So I'm curious, out of all of Poe's stories, which is your favorite? So so Berenice is my absolute favorite. Um, I was terrified the first time I read it. Uh, as a young person, because the idea that someone could reduce a person to just like these certain body parts was terrifying, even before I understood the the broader implications of that. Uh, you know, as a kid, you just kind of go, oh, my gosh, he was so worried about her teeth. And like after she died, he took her teeth out. Like, why would you do that to a person? She's already suffered so much. Um, so I, I realized as, as an old older uh, person who's had more life experience now that it's even doubly more terrifying because of that fixation. Uh, and I mean, we we see here in current events where um, people are always being reduced to just their body parts, uh, you know, throughout history, just the body parts. And so that whole thing, I mean, I was thinking that he was kind of before his time, um, and, oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, and showing how utterly terrifying something like that would be. I think we take a lot of that stuff for granted. But, yeah. I mean, the reality is if all you're valued for is a particular body part, I mean, then what? What do you even do with that? Right. <laughs> <Terrifying>. <laughs> well, I, I I would hope that, you know, Poe is looking down or up, you know, <laughs> where, where he is and, you know, is happy about, you know, some of these adaptations. Um, 
to his stories. But I'm curious about your writing process. What does your writing process typically look like? So I do a lot of my my drafting inside my head. So I spend a lot of time inside my head thinking about um, like what the story is supposed to be, what it is that I want it to do. And I spend a ton of time allowing the story to tell me that. Um, so I'll chew on a story for years, sometimes um, months, years, days. It's very rare that I I write something in just one sitting. Um, I've done it before. Uh, there are a couple of stories um, that I can distinctly remember doing that with, but that's out of the ordinary for me. Usually I have to chew on it for a bit, kind of figure out whose story is it to tell, uh, which point of view the story needs to come from, um, because I don't really like false starts. Uh, once I can sit down and actually crank out a draft, I really like for it to be a pretty clean and solid draft. So mm -hmm. I do a lot of the drafting inside my head uh, while I'm doing other stuff. Um, so the process kind of looks like you have this weird idea, uh, you chew, I chew on it for a bit, I decide who it is that's supposed to tell the story. Um, I kind of usually have a title in mind already. I'm pretty lucky with that too. Like I'm pretty good at titles. Matter of fact, I just wrote the very first story uh, ever that I had where the editor suggested a different title. And I, I think that that's pretty cool to have that experience, uh, but it's yeah. one that's really new for me. And, and it actually was appropriate <laughs> for this particular story. The The title that I have is not the best title. Uh, so usually I'm pretty lucky. So I have this title, I have this, this point of view character, I have this set of things that are going to happen. And that's when I finally sit down to draft the story. Um, and like I said, usually those first drafts are pretty clean. Um, and then I just kind of go through and tinker with it and figure out the things that I'm not really feeling about it. Um, and then at that point, I kind of decide if I'm going to send it out. Um, if it's something for an invitation, uh, then I'll just send it on over to the editor. Now, um, now that's my short story writing. My writing process for other stuff is kind of different. For longer words, there's that same process, but more of it. And the drafts, tend to take me a lot more time once I actually write them out. Um, and on my screenplays, the process is even more different. Like I am painstakingly slow with those. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm always worrying about, okay, wait, this is not the best way to do this. So it's harder for me to turn off my internal editor uh, yes. for that process. Yeah. But like, uh, so I mean, the process is different. My academic stuff, I'll tinker with that forever. So I'll write the essay and then tinker with the citations. I'll tinker with the sources and, and I'll kind of think about whether or not the thesis is actually what I'm trying to prove and, you know, always adding to that. So that even that is a whole different process. Yeah, actually, that's a great uh, segue into the next question I had for you, which is, you know, tell me a little bit about your work as an academic, um, just to kind of give the listeners a little bit of background here. Um, Rhonda is, I think this year also, you're still the Learn Track Director at the Multiverse Convention, mm -hmm, yes. which is basically like an, a little mini academic convention for all things science fiction, fantasy, speculative fiction um, at the Multiverse Convention. You know, I've been there since the first Multiverse um, yeah. doing presentations for the Learn Track. So, you know, that that's part of your work as an academic outside of your academic institution. But mm -hmm. what kind of work do you do inside of your academic institution? 
So here uh, at my academic home, I'm an English professor. So I teach classes in the English and the honors department. So I teach um, things like composition one and two. I teach uh, British, American and world literature. Um, when I'm really super fortunate, I can kind of teach creative writing. Uh, I do teach an honors uh, composition two. Uh, class and then also an honors writing seminar where the honors students are working on sort of a capstone project for the semester with a different honors professor and discipline. And I'm actually providing uh, in-depth writing and research uh, resources and support for them. That's awesome. You know, I, I've spoken with, you know, several people who teach, you know, some level of English at different institutions. And it seems like most of what you do is the core, you know, classwork. And then, you know, the folks that get lucky or, you know, lucky for a semester get to teach creative writing. What would mm -hmm. you say is like the biggest difference between teaching, you know, more those more fundamental sort of courses versus the creative writing courses? I mean, obviously, like we love creative writing, you know, otherwise we wouldn't be doing this. But I'm curious, you know, what else makes those classes preferable to the core classes? Oh, my gosh, the sheer workload. Uh, composition classes are um, core classes. They're all, they also tend to be those, um, as much as I hate to say, they're like the gateway classes, especially composition one. So when we're teaching composition one, there are all these state requirements for, you know, for instance, teaching a certain number of essays in the semester, meeting certain learning outcomes. And every class has those requirements for, but for composition, they can be um, a little more daunting uh, because these are also typically students who are in their very first semester of college. Uh, so mm. composition one is uh, the prerequisite course for a lot of other classes on campus. So we, we typically get the students who are uh, straight out of high school, which, which can be really cool. Um, but the sheer workload of teaching that many essays, uh, teaching those uh, kind of writing and research fundamentals, uh, it, it is very much more uh, time intensive yeah. uh, for me. Uh, but I, I didn't realize that I'm actually very fortunate that even when I was an adjunct, I was hired to teach these classes because it's my understanding that when you have an MFA and you go to try to teach, they sometimes uh, some institutions feel that you can't teach anything but creative writing. Um, so I kind of yeah. got lucky that they were like, oh, yeah, cool. You have the qualifications and your presentation is good and all your bona fides stack up. So cool. Come teach these classes for us. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. OK, so outside of out of teaching, outside of teaching, what else does your academic work entail, both inside and outside of your institution? So inside my institution, I have actually um, worked on uh a an academic conference here on campus uh you know covid kind of messed us up a little bit with the whole planning and whatnot but we did have two iterations so i was really excited to be able to um head that up to be able to take on um you know proposals and plan the schedule kind of building panels so i do i am very fortunate that that my uh, dean is supportive of that so he's really supportive of that academic conference and and it will come back one day, hopefully yeah. next year, uh, you know, so, um, so I do get to do that. Um, 
Uh, we also do, because I'm at a community college, there is work uh, for the community that we do. Um, so I sometimes teach classes over at uh, what we call the Academy for Lifelong Learning, mm -hmm. uh, which is sort of a 50 year old plus program where um, people who are interested in learning a variety of things can sign up for those classes. So I have taught over at all is kind of what the acronym is. I've taught memoir writing classes, creative writing classes and horror writing classes. Um, and so that's a really good way to kind of, you know, be in the community and to give back to that. Mm -hmm. um, so and I'm also an academic writer. So usually, uh, except not write this present moment, which is kind of weird now that I say it out loud, I'm usually <laughs> working on an academic essay uh, for a call or for a conference. And, um, and see, I say that and I am working on one right now. Um, so, um, so I do academic work mostly related to the horror genre or pop culture or even the romance genre sometimes. Um, and I, I, take a really close look at race and gender, the intersections of those um, in these spaces. Uh, so I'm really lucky to, to have all this kind of tied together. Yeah, yeah, that, that's amazing. Um, out of curiosity, that that horror writing class, you know, for the community, what kind of what kind of demand is there for that? Well, funny, the first time I, I, I went to teach it, the I had about five students and mm -hmm. they did not realize that it was horror focused. <laughs> um, yeah. I feel like even though it was there in the description, I think they just kind of skipped yeah, it. Just saw it was and writing it, and yeah, signed up yeah, for it. Yeah. Yeah. So we got yeah, it. I've been there. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so on the first day, there was this moment of, oh, wait, this is horror writing. Yeah, and I ew. go, you know, I was like, I'm flexible. It's not like a whole semester class anyway. It typically mm -hmm. just runs for a certain number of weeks. So yeah. I just kind of told them on that first day that I was not averse to to using it as a general creative writing class because, I mean, writing horror is still the same as writing other stories. The elements uh, that go in the stories are just different. So we kind of did a sort of a hybrid where those that really wanted to do some horror writing, we kind of dipped our toe in. Uh, but for the most part, we just talked about like story building instead in a general yeah. way. I love that you adapted you know, a lot of, a lot of, I think a lot of instructors would have just been like, well, this is a horror writing class. We're just going to keep doing that. And if you want to write horror, you know, there's the door <laughs> you know, kind of thing. But, you know, I've experienced that same thing. You know, I, I volunteer or did volunteer um, at my local library for a while and now they pay me to come and do stuff, which is great. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. But, you know, I, I've taught like a couple of workshops and yeah, people don't, you know, unless it's in the title, people don't necessarily notice that. And you'll have uh -huh. people show up that are just like, oh, it's writing. And it's like, okay, well, you know, that's good. You know, we can, you don't have to write horror, you know, it's fine. But, right. you know, my tips are going to be about, you know, how to build tension and dread, you know, which you can also apply to your you know, writing regardless, you know, even romance has, you know, tension, obviously, exactly. um, just a different kind of tension, but, you know, really, you know, adapting to that. And I think, you know, honestly, like approaching it in that way where you, you don't try to force people to write horror, even though they signed up you right. know, to, for a horror writing <laughs> class, really, I think, I don't want to say like the horror genre needs to rehabilitate its image, because I don't think that the horror genre has done anything that would lend to a lot of ideas that people have about horror writers and writing horror. But, you know, I think a lot of people are a little bit averse to 
writing horror because they, they, you know, especially here in the South, because, you know, they've yeah, been told all yeah. their life that, you know, horror is bad. It's the devil's work, blah, 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 you know, and, you know, really showing people how receptive we as horror writers and horror teachers are to different aspects and genres of writing, I think helps to hopefully bring a few more people over to the dark side, so to speak, yeah. they kind of realize that, oh, wow, horror writers are not what yeah. I thought they were. You know, it's almost like a community outreach thing. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Point. Absolutely. I mean, in, in, in one particular iteration of that class, um, there was uh, a, an attendee who was telling us about this situation she had at her house with sinkholes uh, appearing. So she's like, yeah, um, I just had some sinkholes that just appeared in my yard. and That's horrific. I mean, and she's <laughs> describing like what they found because of course she talks about how she went to the sinkhole to see what was there. And all she saw was all these creatures who were, uh, you know, uh, attracted to the moisture. And I'm looking at her and of course I'm going, okay, but do y'all hear what's happening here? This right. is a story <laughs> unfolding right in front of us. Right. And, and I think that once I'm able to show people, hey, I know that horror sounds scary at first. It's kind of supposed to. It's right there in the title. But understanding that there are real life things that happen that can lend themselves to this uh, being disturbed, to this being unsettled. Um, And so uh, I I like to think that they leave out of there kind of realizing that, you know what, it doesn't have to be cliche or what I thought horror yeah. was about. I thought it was all about, you know, uh, ghosts or gore and serial killers. And no, it doesn't have yeah. to be that. Exactly. Yeah. I think a lot of people, you know, their, their concept of horror is definitely limited to like slasher yes. type films, you know, gory things. And then, you know, there's the supernatural aspect and then everything outside of that doesn't really like fall into horror in a lot of people's minds, which, you know, I find really interesting. Right. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, real life is always going to be scarier than anything anybody could put on exactly. page because it's real, you know. And so, like the idea that this you know, woman had a sinkhole <laughs> in her back and yes. went to go investigate. Was she? Was she? Was she investigating? Yeah. No, 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 no. Like, was she? Was she white or black? Or because oh, I feel yeah, like she, that's she not, was a, an not a black white, yeah, She was an yeah. older white lady. <laughs> I was gonna say that's not a black people thing. Black people to call somebody and be like, "There's some shit happening in my backyard." Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, and that's kind of the thing because where my campus is is kind of in this. Um, you know, the homes here are like really pretty high value, uh, mm-hmm. and so you know the the fact that she's talking about these sinkholes, and I know that the price point for the houses here start like at four hundred thousand dollars. Like to yeah. me, <laughs> that is terrifying. <laughs> yeah, but the fact that she was all just like, "Oh yeah, it's no big deal," and you know, and I just went to go see, and I'm just like, "Yeah," because you got money like that like that I would have died (laughs) yes exactly which leads me to you know like you know another question like I think our particular life experiences and where we are at a particular moment in time affect what is scary to us you know like that single experience wasn't that terrifying to her because you know she has the money like that would have been terrifying you know for a number of reasons for me not just you know financial reasons but that wasn't scary for her so it didn't register that that could even be Exactly. A horror story. So, you know, I'm <laughs> curious, you know, you, you teach a lot of students, obviously, um, you know, and most of them, you know, I know are English comps, so they're, you know, not necessarily writing horror stories, but, you know, I'm mm-hmm. assuming that, you know, some of their real life experiences bleed through um, in the work that they, they share with you. I'm, I'm curious as to, you know, maybe what trends you see and what 
people might fear right now? You know, what's what's scaring people? Well, with the students, uh, so so I do try really hard to to implement like uh, literature throughout even my composition classes. We're always reading stuff uh, that's happening in current events, and we're always doing um, analytical work. One thing that I noticed that students, uh, especially particularly this semester and the last semester, um, one thing that really frightens them is is uh, anxiety and uncertainty. Yes. Um, and, and I know that those are, are things that most, you know, many of us humans, we are concerned about those things. But I find that my students are overwhelmingly so uh, concerned about those things. Like they're like, we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, they are afraid of uh, never being able to leave home. And and this is yes. even my my old uh, older students who are outside of that kind of traditional first time in college age, mm-hmm. um, you know they're very concerned about like their independence, their financial status, like how you know how is this going to line up? How is this going to work out? Am yeah. I going to be able to you know get this degree? And is it really going to matter? Um, so they are very afraid of uncertainty uh, right now is a really big thing. Yeah. Have you noticed any change in that, like pre versus post pandemic? Has it gotten worse? Is it about the same? Oh, yeah. No, it's gotten way worse. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of felt like that was probably yeah. <laughs> the case. I didn't want to make any assumptions. I mean, certainly, like, even I, you know, as not a young person anymore, am feeling anxious about my future. You know, I feel yes. like there's so much uncertainty with our government, with the world yes. right now, you know, with yes. the way the government has handled certain things, is handling certain things. Um, you know, the way that we are being treated by the companies that we work for, um, you know, these sudden layoffs and the fact that our economy is terrible and that even if we do have a job, it's not guaranteed to be there tomorrow. I just feel like there is a lot of uncertainty and anxiety exactly. in this world right now. And I think that that is a perfect breeding ground for horror, um, you know, because if we look at the past, anytime there's been, you know, a big societal change of any kind, horror has become a more um, lovingly received (laughs) genre, I will say, you know, and outside of those times of turmoil, you know, people kind of look down on it, but during those times of turmoil, that's what people look to. Yep. I'm really curious, like in your work, you know, you know, I know you've talked about how you, you know, do some work with race and gender and things like that. Do you do any work about how horror affects us as human beings, you know, psychologically, you know, helping us work through traumas, anything like that? I, in a, in an indirect way, uh, I am often, um, on my soapbox uh, (laughs) about trauma and, um, who gets to, uh, own it, who gets to talk about it, who gets to tell you not to talk about it. Um, because I, I find that, uh, there, there's this, uh, I don't know if you remember, maybe a year or two ago, there started to be all this clamoring about, um, trauma porn. Uh, mm-hmm. Especially in yeah. regards to uh, horror that centered uh, people from marginalized groups, mm-hmm. and and I was immediately um, incensed by that whole idea because I thought, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, first of all, it's if it's my trauma, and you can't tell me that I can't write about that. You can't tell me that I can't write these things. Like, first of all, it's mine. But second of all, um, I think that the horror genre is particularly open 
for this type of, of storytelling, for us to examine these things that are the traumatic things that are terrifying, that are violent, that are, are unsettling and disturbing. Um, because that is kind of what this genre does. And, and I, as a writer, am always examining those kinds of things. I'm always examining uh, monstrosity, who gets to hold the label around, um, who has to wear the label. Um, are they really monstrous or are they just, you know, victims of society? Uh, and so I do like to talk about um, the ways that horror um, is very useful in not necessarily maybe processing these things, but also in and just shining a light on them. Uh, I mean, you don't come to horror to read about, uh, you know, unicorn rainbow glitter kitties. <laughs> right. I mean, you just don't, unless that glitter is black and, you know, it's right. like- and the kitties had very deadly teeth and they're venomous in some sort of way. Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, so I- in my writing, in the writing itself, I am often challenging readers to think about that. To kind of think about why is this horrific? What do you, how do you, does that make you feel? Um, can you not relate to this, right? And even if you can't, well, this is your introduction. You're welcome. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, before we get to our final questions, I have one additional question for you. I would love to hear more about your work at Multiverse as the Learn Track Director. Okay, yeah, I am really excited about that. Um, and so one thing uh, that we actually just announced a couple of weeks ago is that I am working with Dr. Bridget Kim, and I'm really sorry that I'm probably slaying this pronunciation of her name, her last name, um, on the uh, Anne Radcon segment at um, StokerCon. Um, oh, yeah, 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 and so like um, working with uh, StokerCon and Multiverse in doing these things is really important to me. Uh, I think that horror and speculative fiction as a whole, as academic disciplines and focuses, uh, is really important. And so when I um, started working with Multiverse, it was really important to me to to bring in you know these people from multiple disciplines who were examining speculative fiction through those disciplines um because it's really uh intriguing work but also it the writing has been around forever like speculative fiction is old and yeah. so <laughs> you know i think that it's really worthy uh, of looking at through academic discipline lenses uh and so we are for multiverse uh we are right now in the process of um you know collecting the abstracts the proposals um mm -hmm. And so what I and the assistant director do is we go through those and we look to see, first of all, do they fit our call for papers? Um, do they, you know, center and some type of an examination about speculative fiction? Um, and then we start to kind of make the program from there. Uh, and of course, we always love to get, uh, we love all of our proposals, but I think we get super excited when we have uh repeat uh presenters like like you hit hit uh, <laughs> yeah, i was just saying oh like dang i didn't realize they were open i need to send something <laughs> yes 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 the call for papers is open until uh june i believe yeah yeah that's usually when it closes so. yeah I need, I need to get on that for some reason i was thinking it didn't open till march i'm sorry 
for some reason, I was thinking it didn't open until March. Oh, yeah. Well, because you're an academic and that's what we do, right? <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> anyway, okay. It's like, oh, I have two days to put this in. Okay, cool. Right. <laughs> yeah. I actually had my shit together this last time. I had the proposal ready early. Oh, nice. And yeah. I, you know, researched it a little more in depth than I typically do <laughs> before I send the proposal. So, like, my presentation was pretty much almost done. Oh, wow. um, when I did the proposal, like I was so proud of myself and I'm like, I need to do that again this year. So I'm not like stressed out on the plane to Atlanta <laughs> trying to put the finishing touches yes. on my presentation. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to submit something again. Yes. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Can you share with our listeners what some of your favorite presentations at Multiverse have been for the learning track specifically? Oh, sure. Yes. Yeah, so um, and this is not because I'm talking to you, but <laughs> you came with your anatomy of a werewolf. Oh, yeah, it was that the first was, one that I did. Yeah. Yes, that was just phenomenal. Um, like oh, we, we we know that your presentations will always be very well attended uh, because you are so detailed and thorough with your research, but also with the presentation itself, right? So it's very engaging. It's uh, they're very interesting. Um, there was uh, John Edward Lawson did a presentation one year about. Uh, I think zombies represent. Yeah, yeah, we both did zombies unintentionally. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and John is is another one of those repeat presenters that we're just like all over. It's like, yes, he's coming back. This is great. Um, We have had, um, there's another presentation that uh, Kenneth Broom Jr. did. He's an academic that is kind of local there to Atlanta. And he did a presentation about, uh, this past uh, in this past multiverse about grief um, oh. and and how it presents in in certain horror films and I thought that was really really titillating um, he's he's a really really knowledgeable um, you know academic and so those those are just some off the top of my head I mean all of them uh, I feel so lucky that I get to see them as they come in because I go oh my yeah. gosh I'm gonna go to this one and I'm gonna do that one. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you know, so we have never had a a bad one. And and again, when you're curating these, I mean, it's kind of hard to if you're picking them, it's kind of hard to like pick a bad one. But um, we really have not had any that were terrible. Um, and so I'm I'm really excited about that. Uh, even the people that come new, like the new presenters, we get really excited about those too because it's like yeah. oh, there's more, there's fresh new blood here. <laughs> yes. Yes, I'm going to have to think of a creature for this year because I've done what? I've done werewolves, uh-huh. uh, vampires, zombies, and sirens and mermaids. Yes. So, yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to pick a different creature for this exactly. year. Exactly. I'm actually working on a proposal for a book oh, to nice. expand on all of those talks. I'm super, super excited about that. I'm super excited about Multiverse again this year. Multiverse is honestly my favorite conference to go to. Um you know, part of the reason is, you know, there are a lot of friends there, but the the presentations and panels are just so good. Like you, you can't go wrong. <laughs> you can walk yes. into any room at any point and you're going to be hearing something interesting, uh, which I really, really love. I love that, you know, a lot of my favorite people are there. Like, it's just, it's just great. A great conference all around. You know, if, if I have to pick one conference to go to, it's going to be multiverse. Yeah, yes. Well, thank you. Um, um, uh, the founders and Allie and Jesse, they work really, really hard. Um, and um, 
and the the programming directors work really, really hard to to pull this together. And I mean, I think that intentionality matters so much. And one okay. of the reasons why I continue to work with Multiverse and I continue to attend uh, is because they started out with the intention of creating an inclusive con. Yes. And that's exactly what they did. And I think yeah. that that's what sometimes people miss in the planning. It's like you can't hope that things happen. You have to intentionally yes. plan for them to happen. Yes, it's definitely multiverse, I would say, is like probably, a, you know, the best model that I've seen for designing an inclusive space, an inclusive and safe space Yes, for everyone. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, yes. like they were the first con that I went to that had like pronoun buttons or, you know, stickers uh -huh. or something like that. And then, um, you know, after COVID, they gave us bracelets for, you know, like I'm okay with hugs, no hugs or ask yes. first, like yes. just, you know, thinking ahead about all of those things, like they're just, and I mean, like you said, Jesse and Allie are just great people. All of the track directors are great. You know, there's you, there's Nicole Givens Kurtz. Um, I think Nicole does, does she do fantasy or science fiction? Uh, she does the sci fi track. Um, sci -fi, Marcus yeah. Haynes, yeah, Marcus Haynes does fantasy, and Elle Marie um, Wood is horror, right? Yeah, or is she still horror this year? Um, yes, she is. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just like, I mean, I love all the track directors. <laughs> you know, like I've worked with you all in some capacity, um, you know, at some point uh, or another. And it's just, I mean, it's just a great conference. I highly suggest that everyone go to it. I'm going to, you're going to hear me typing for a second because I'm going to look up this address for you. So uh, you guys can get registered for this. Okay. It's multiversecon.org. Um, so that you can check out. It's on October 20th through 22nd of this year in Atlanta. I highly, highly suggest that if you're able to, that you do attend. Um, and if you're able to submit a proposal to Rhonda uh, for the learn track, I highly suggest that you do that because Rhonda's just a wonderful person in oh. general and, you know, just consummate professional. Like I love working with you. <laughs> like you're just, you're so professional and so good at what you do and like your energy is just so great. And it's, I just, I love you. I love you so much. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Same. I love you so much. Yes. Aww. You're doing really great work. And I'm thank proud you. of you too. Like sometimes Aww, I, I used to not be able to say that without worrying that people thought I was being condescending. Um, yeah. But I, but then I thought, mm, Rhonda, that's a you thing. Like you better tell folks when they're doing good work. You better tell them when you're proud of them. So this is me saying, I'm really proud of all the work that you're doing, Tanya. Aww. This is great. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for the kind words, you know, about my narration for Bettina. I mentioned this on Twitter. So, you know, folks follow me on Twitter. They've already seen this. But I was so nervous about you hearing that narration because like I, I felt like, man, I just I don't know, like I was in a weird headspace that week and I hated like everything I wrote, everything that I did. I just hated. And so like I was convinced that it was terrible. And I sent it to my sound designer, um, Jen Zink. And I was like, please tell me if this is bad and if I need to send this to someone else or re-record it or something. And she was like, no, like it, you did good. You did good. And I'm like, are you sure you just, you know, saying that? <laughs> no, it yeah, was, it was just perfect. Like it was perfect. I played it for, uh, well, I played it for my daughter. I played it for Kiki. She's very highly entertained by your podcast anyway, though. So, <laughs> like she just likes the creepy story. So I don't, you know, I don't know how, how much she thought about the, the actual expertise that went into it. But, <laughs> right. uh, but you know, I played it for Jose and he was like, Oh, he was like, that's Tanya. I said, that is Tanya. I was like, how perfect. 
is that the accent, the pacing, the inflections. I was like, oh my gosh, she is just beyond talented because oh, you took you. this story that, I mean, of course I wrote it. Of course I love it. But yeah. like you took it and made it into this whole other thing. It's almost like it's a separate thing now. You know, so there's like <laughs> a story and then there's you actually performing the story. So uh, it was so perfect. I mean, everything, I loved everything about it. Uh, a lot of times when people um, do narration on things that are supposed to have a Southern voice, uh, they, they, they're they not able to nail it. And so yeah. I was like, she nailed it. This is, this is exactly what a Southern bell would sound like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm glad. I mean, I did grow up in the South, so it wasn't, you know, super hard to, Yeah, I shouldn't say it, but it, you know, there is some thought that has to go behind like replicating voices and things like that. But I heard it enough growing up that it was my job was a lot easier than, you know, if I'd grown up in yeah. the North. But I want to get to our very last question or our second to last question, I should say for you. Um, if someone is new to black horror in particular, what would you suggest they watch, listen to, read, you know, either name an author or a story, book, movie? Um, I would say that um, they should probably read Beloved by Toni Morrison. Mm, yes. Uh, because, not just because it's a classic, but because for a really long time, uh, uh, it wasn't considered horror. Um, right, and, yeah. And, yeah, Dr. Kenitra Brooks kind of, she she talks about this um, a bit uh, in some of her works, but uh, it, it was considered literary uh, as opposed to horror. And yeah. so I think that that's one of the major books that starts to kind of, um, it starts to kind of delineate between uh, Black experiences as horror um, and like Tanana Reef Do. I would also suggest The Good House by Tanana Reef Do. Oh yeah, that's um, such a good book. And yeah, and as she's really, really uh, known for saying is that Black history is Black horror. Yes. Yeah. And so I would I would very highly recommend Beloved. I would recommend um, The Good Host. And um, I would also uh, recommend um, the movie Tales from the Hood. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I think honestly, like, that was that was one of the reasons that I got into horror short stories uh -huh. was watching Tales from the Hood. So yes. yeah, like that's did you watch the second one? I did not watch the second one. Um, and, and here's the thing. So, uh, and I'm not, I'm really not a horror snob. When it <laughs> came out, I meant to watch it. And then I just kept forgetting about it. And then I yeah. kept, I keep revisiting the first one. So it's right. like I'm stuck in this loop. Uh, but I mean, if it Felt. follows that tradition, I'm sure that it's great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it like honestly, like it wasn't the second one wasn't bad. I still like the first one a lot better. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I don't think I wasted my time yeah. watching the second one, but like the the bar is so high. Yeah, exactly. You know, like yeah, because I, I was hesitant to watch it at first because I was like, man, that's like you know such a great memory from my childhood, and like I'm scared to watch this and have that memory tainted. Yes, yes. somehow. But you know that that didn't happen. You know, a lot of people had some some criticisms of it. And I think, you know, some of them were definitely valid, but I sure. think overall, you know, it's, it's, it's worth watching. I don't know if it's still on Netflix or if, you know, it got pulled with like everything else that they're pulling from Netflix, but. Um, yeah, I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm sure that I own the DVD somewhere like just <laughs> like that. So. <laughs> yes. yes. Okay. So to my final question for you, what can we as your audience do to support you and your work? Oh my goodness. The the thing that I think about most 
recently um, is is to talk about it, to talk about the work, um, because that's really important. Uh, I think that sometimes as a Black female horror content creator, um, I, I sometimes feel like our work, uh, my work is invisible. Uh, so, I mean, people have mm-hmm. nice things to say about it. I'm really grateful for the people that engage with it. And uh, I'm always struck by the people that do this in good faith. They actually see these characters. And so what I find myself saying all the time is thank you for seeing us. Thank you yes. for seeing these Black women. Thank you uh, for doing that. Um, so just engaging with the work and reading and talking about it is really important. Um, another thing that I've only recently started really thinking about is reviews. Uh, my brain doesn't always go straight to those, but I'm like, you know, <laughs> reviews would be great. Ratings would be awesome. <laughs> yes. Tell us about your collection of short stories that I still haven't read yet, but I really want to read. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It, time. Yes, I know. When we're doing all these other things, we just don't have time to read all the no. time. Oh. Uh, but my collection is um, is is a collection of horror short stories um, that really center Black female experiences. Um, and so it, it's kind of a, a compilation of all of these things that frighten me, but not just that frighten me, but that I find frightening about society. Uh, you know, I, I'm in community with other Black women all the time. And so for some of us, there are certain things that we find frightening. And for others, there are other things. And so like for the one, you know, for one Black woman, she may love the 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 whole process of, you know, being pregnant and birthing her children and raising them. And for other Black women, just the thought of carrying a being inside their body is like terrifying. And so... Yeah. Um, <laughs> And so these stories are uh, just kind of uh, as a compilation of those. It's like, um, so these are, and they are pretty classic horror tropes. I mean, it's not like I'm reinventing the horror wheel, but what kind of might make it seem as if I am is the fact that we don't always get to see these women. We just don't. We don't get to see them in horror movies all the time. We don't get to mm-hmm. see them in horror stories and horror books. And so it it really was important to me to to center these experiences. Um, so I do make a conscious effort to write about black people. That's just that's what I do. And I think that it's really important that we hear those voices and and we engage with those experiences because ultimately they are human experiences, regardless to people who say, oh, I can't connect with the characters or I don't understand <laughs> the situation. I'm like, well, that's like, kind I spent of my whole childhood connecting to old dead yeah. white dudes. Surely. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, so you mean to tell me that I can connect with like, let's say Stephen King's work, but you can't connect with this because the people are right. black or they're girls. Right. I mean, really. Like you tell it on yourself. Exactly. <laughs> like, that that's a better imagination. Like a, yeah. That sounds like a you problem. So right. your yeah. lack of a worldview is kind of not my problem. Right. I know I 100% agree with you. Like, I mean, obviously, like, you know, I started Nightlight to do exactly, you know, what you're seeking to do in your work, because I think it is important that we consume art from multiple perspectives, you know, not just the experience that we come from. I think that that's how we grow as humans, exactly. is understanding other human experiences outside of our own. Um, but the name of your collection is Hell Hath No Sorrow, Like a Woman Haunted. And it is available pretty much everywhere, right? Yes. Like, yes okay. it is. <laughs> um, so, you know, request a copy from your library. If you are unable to purchase your own copy, that's a great way to support authors. 
Um, yes, you know, buying is. copies from Amazon, Barnes and Noble, your independent bookstore, if you have one locally that you can order from. If not, you can order from a black owned bookstore online at bookshop.org. Um, but yeah, hell hath no sorrow like a woman haunted, which is just a great title. <laughs> you know, first of all, um, but yeah, I mean, it, like I'm, I'm very, very excited to read this. Like, I'm just like, it's next up in my queue of things to read when I get to read something that I want to read, oh, because great. I know that I'm going to love it and I'm going to want to savor it. You know, it's one of those things where like, I don't want to have to rush through it. Yes, And I want, you know, cause I know that it's going to be good. Cause I just, I love your writing so, so much. And I'm so thankful, um, to have had two of your stories on the podcast. Um, you know, you know this, the listeners don't know this, but, you know, I was pestering Rhonda for at least a year <laughs> to get her to send me like literally anything. And then finally I got conflict resolution and I was like, this story is great. When am I going to get an original <laughs> RJ Joseph story? Right. <laughs> and then you hit me with Bettina and I was like, yes. So like my life is complete, but I mean, honestly, like this could be the Rhonda show and I wouldn't be mad about it. <laughs> if I'm honest. So please make sure you check out Rhonda's uh, short story story collection, um, Hell Hath No Sorrow, Like a Woman Haunted. Um, the author is R.J. Joseph. So don't look up Rhonda, look up R.J. <laughs> Joseph. Um, and again, remember, you know, requesting from your library is a huge help if you are unable to support an author financially. Um, make sure you leave reviews everywhere, Goodreads, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you can review books, leave a review uh, for that book and make sure that you listen to both Bettina and conflict resolution on nightlight podcast. Um, and I just want to thank you so much, Rhonda, for being an amazing human, a great friend and for joining us today so that I could pick your brain on some of the things that I've been dying to talk to you about, <laughs> but I just felt like it wouldn't be appropriate to pepper you with a bunch of questions. And this interview is the perfect opportunity to interrogate you. So thank you for agreeing to come on. <laughs> Yes. Well, thank you for having me. I, I always love chatting with you. It's always a good time. Yeah. Yeah. You're an amazing person. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, I will put links to Rhonda's collection in the show notes so that folks can go buy it directly. Thank you so much, Rhonda. I hope we have a great day. Thank you. You too. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.